going to take a second to thank our newest sponsor, ATO Basketball Merchants, located directly at the Langley Event Center at 7888-200 Street. In building number 120, our boy Jeff Winslade has a wide variety of the latest gear, jerseys, sweatpants, socks, hats, fitted, doesn't matter, a huge shoe rack, anything you need if you're a hooper and a hoop head. Please stop by the store, show some support, and get yourself some fly gear. If anyone wants, I'm a double XL, and I'll take that Rex Chapman Hornets in white. Thanks to ATO B-Ball. What's the point in being a teacher if you can't, like, use the kids who work at Nike and <laughs> Champs, right? Like, they're my plugs, man. So they, they like, win the lottery because we get so many, like, way less pairs up here, right? So, and especially I'm size 13, so I'm probably getting... You know, there's like one thirteen yeah, one that gets in released the, in the size yeah. run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't overstep my boundaries, but they know if they get a, a text or a DM from me that Mr. Mitchell needs a pair of sneakers. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, episode ninety-eight. As we creep up to hundred, it's pretty hard to believe. Um, two years into this and still pushing through. Got really excited for uh, this guest. I always go back to remembering my first experience going to AAU basketball and opening up a, a slam magazine that had Larry Johnson on the cover. Um, and for those that know, know, throwing down a little leaner dunk. Um, if you're familiar with the term slam magazine or the videos and films handle with care, the Carter effect, uninterrupted, complex media, Nike basketball, Dime magazine, then this is the man um, that you want to hear. This guy's got a true hoops journey, and I'm really excited to hear um, his stories and and how he's got to where he is, which is the COO of Slam magazine currently. He's got an amazing first name. We're not sure of the spelling, but we have none other than Mr. Aaron Phillips with us today. How are you, sir? I'm so good, Mitch. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is definitely uh, if I was going to do a, a podcast interview, it's definitely with this podcast. Nice man, I appreciate that. Even if you're lying to us, um, not we'll lying. It. <laughs> it's a hoops journey. I mean, this is this is my life. Like as you said, like just even a little snippet of it. Like basketball yep. has literally shaped my whole career, and even how you and I got connected. Totally. Shout out to Parkside Brewery and Sam Payne, and like many other guests, don't feel guilty. My friend is going back and forth and trying to juggle each other's lives and figure out a time where it works for everyone. And sometimes um, you find out that things just, it's meant to be when it is right. And I, I find myself in an office here. I've got the last block off for a school day and you're out East um, in New York and coming off a, an exciting day for yourself yesterday. So just let the people kind of know what happened yesterday and, and where you're at in life these days. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we had a year after a little bit over a year after our premiere, world premiere of Handle with Care at the Vancouver International Film Festival, we had our U.S. premiere last night at the Urban World Film Festival, and it was amazing. And, you know, this is our third festival. We did um, Vancouver, where we picked up a couple awards, uh, Audience Award, Best BC Film Award. Um, then we did Hot Docs um, in Toronto in, in May. And we were really holding out for like the right U.S. premiere. And so last night was amazing. And we were able to do it like really at the start of the NBA season, which is awesome. And we had a big announcement on Monday as well that we announced yeah. our executive producers. So we brought on Chris Paul, Riza, and CP3 was very clear after seeing the film. He's like, I love this. And I have to get my Canadian brothers like in the mix as well. So CP3, like if people forget during his time on the Thunder, played with a young Shea and Lou Dort 
And mm-hmm. so he was like, I got to get these guys in the mix as well. So we brought all four of those guys on board. And yeah, last night was really special. Crazy, man. Yeah. I mean, okay. CB3 is super dope. And I know the best, but the RZA, come on, man. Like that's a man right there. RZA was really cool. I mean, like the story was awesome, right? So we, we always knew and, you know, knowing that a bunch of listeners are probably, you know, based in Vancouver, right? Like Vancouver sure. is this amazing town. The story, we didn't want to premiere anywhere else but Vancouver, because we knew this is like, you know, the hometown crowd would be perfect for this film. But we always knew that this story and what got us involved in it was that this was a global story and this was a universal story. And so for us, it was very much about like, what are the themes that make this film sing? And one of them was really like brotherhood and brotherhood through the game. And so immediately the the connections, even though the Nautic themselves are named after a root song, um, you know, which some people don't know, but like the Nautic crew came from Questlove and those guys. Damn, didn't know that. Yeah. And so, mm. so yeah, there's a song Got called some homework to do. No, great song. But no, but we've, you know, you can't think of like brotherhood and hip hop, like outside of the Wu-Tang. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, Rizzo was someone, you know, we had reached out to his agent. And then one day, literally after we'd kind of like signed the dot line with Chris and stuff, you know, she reached back out and she's like, hey, like Rizzo just watched the film and loved it and wants to Zoom with you. And I was like, that's amazing. And so hopping on a Zoom with Rizzo was amazing and just hearing what he yeah. had to say about the film and like that it resonated with him in parallel. And that's like what I love. Like I've just been a storyteller my whole career. Um, you know, hoops has just kind of been the common thread, but um, being able to like find folks like those guys that want to use their platform to tell untold stories on the bit to like, you know, and share those with the world. Like that's all I really, you know, strive for. That's so cool, man. And I love that you use the term brotherhood right away. And like, and I'm sure you've sensed that so many times in your career and especially when it comes to basketball you already th- you already mentioned it once right chris paul plays with these canadian guys there's an instant connection right there and it's funny how things snowball from that and 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 that's the fun part of this podcast is people are you know we think that the basketball community is some huge monstrous thing but it's really not like we're all a few emails and texts away from each other we just don't know it right absolutely yeah man Awesome. Well, you know, congratulations and continued success with that. And it sounds like cool a year later, like you mentioned, and, and being able to still have it be relevant. And then you get that. I mean, life's funny, right? And let's talk about your life. What were you like as a, as a young dude? Uh, where'd you grow up? And, uh, you know, how did you, you know, start to get the vision for where you are now? No, yeah. I mean, I was I was born in Boston, moved to Vermont, like when I was nine. And so I considered myself a Vermonter, like real close to Canada, I was literally like 45 minutes from the border, about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half from Montreal. Uh, so grew up going up all the way up there, seeing Canadiens games and Expos games, you know, because that was my closest city was literally like Montreal to go across the border. You even said Canadian, man. I don't even say that. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, or this the Habs, you know. Yeah, there you uh, go. Look at them. Yeah. yeah. No, but um, you no, I mean, if you say Putin or uh, this <laughs> interview's over, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But no, I mean, growing up, like I grew up in Vermont, you know, it's a it's a small state, you know, about 650,000 people, small town. But yeah, I mean, basketball was my life. And, and it's like interesting, like you think about the game and playing AAU got me out of the state, you know, playing in different, you know, different states and different cities and against like, you know, like better talent, which was awesome. But it's funny, like, you know, I 
I played high school ball, um, was like the star of the freshman team and then kind of went down from there. It was like our JV team was amazing and we went 18 and two and then, but there were only six spots on the varsity team the next year. And so I was like the odd man out and was the manager that year. And then senior year got a roster spot and had some great like games and, but it was awesome. But you know, it's, it's different than growing up in a city um, like Vancouver or New York or anywhere you know, literally life lived through slam and through at the time, like East Bay. Right. Yes, and so sir. you talk about like, you know, I had like, you know, I probably had a local footlocker in a mall. I definitely had a local champs, but if I wanted to get like, you know, all the latest Iversons and everything, like I was literally having to like live in East Bay. And so shout out to East Bay for no team colors of shoes, which yes. like, you know, uh, was just like kind of life back then. Yeah. <laughs> they were like the original you're right man they were the original colorway people man that's crazy yeah and who's to say that like this 45 year old man doesn't hop on east bay every now and then to to get some dad gear you know (laughs) what was it about your you know your junior season your manager how did you have the guts to still go like you just love like to still come back and try a lot of people would have been you know kind of cut and been like well i'll just manage next year too because i want to be connected with the team and still be a part of things but was it because that you saw there was a chance for you to crack the roster or did you just like kind of love hoop and we're still playing with all the guys? Yeah. It's like, it was, you know, to go back to what we were just talking about, it was the brotherhood of it all. I mean, these were like mm-hmm. my best friends and, you know, and it was, we just love the game. And, you know, for me, it's like, what, we got Halloween coming up in a couple of days. Like Halloween to me was literally like staying at home, watching the Celtics home opener and handing out candy, you know, and like, that was it. And it was, it was, just, but no, I mean, I, I stuck with it because I loved it. And and to me, I always knew I was going to be in and around the game. Um, mm. And I just didn't know what it was going to be like, you know, was it a coach? Was it, I definitely wasn't a player. I wasn't going to the league, but you know, I knew I loved to write. And so even in high school, you know, I was writing for the student newspaper and would do things, but yeah, there was just something fun about being on a team and like going to practice. Like, I think that's the thing that you miss as you get older, you can show up for the game, but the game isn't where the fun happens, right? Like, you know, the game is, is its own beast. I think like being able to hang with folks and like go all out. And and I knew even as a manager, like I was a practice player. So it's like, I'm in there, I'm normally playing scout team. So it's great. Like I'm out there just like got the green light, like, you know, with the starters out there and, you know, being able to just kind of like, you know, let it fly. But, um, but yeah, it kind of led to my journey, even in, in college where I was a practice player for the women's team um, at Lewis and Clark college in Portland, Oregon. Shout out the Pacific Northwest and the Pios, but it was awesome. And then worked my way up even to senior year where I ended up being an assistant coach and sat on the bench. So, you know, the game was always in and around me um, and, you know, it just kept like taking different twists and turns. And just, I think too, like the, the things that you learn from and you, you're totally bang on, right? It's, it's those memories. It's the funny road trips, right? It's, it's, that's the stuff the in between the locker room, goofy stuff. Like that's what we all remember. And, and then you think about not only being involved in basketball related things to this day, but kind of what you learn about being part of a team, right? Being a, being a, playing a role, um, going from being a manager and then seeing like, you know, cause sometimes people treat managers differently, right? You know, it's like, and then being a player the next year. And so you're learning how to like read people and taking so many things in, I think at a young age, which probably you're tapping into those things now in, in your adult uh, professional life. Oh yeah. I mean, like, managing people, managing egos, managing situations, like literally just being able to get done is, you know, something that like, 
you know, you learn through sports and, you know, I was always a guy that like loved to take the charge, you know, like that's just yes. like a mentality. Like there's guys that like take charges and there's guys that don't, and it's a pretty like bifurcated world. So mm-hmm. I feel like if you like looked at, <laughs> you know, C-suites across the country, like there's probably most of those people took charges, you know, like yeah, they yeah. literally knew what to do to just <laughs> step, step in when it came down to it. And, um, yeah. you know, really like wanted to kind of like do whatever it took. Like that's been my life, right? Like, you know, it wasn't, you know, this whole industry, everything you do, it's like, I came from great upbringing, but didn't know anyone, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you come out here and, you know, being able to make docs and, and like tell stories and work where I've worked and stuff like just came from hard work. And so that's yeah. something that I think like that goes back to the game, like a hundred percent. Yeah. Just being a good teammate too. Right. And not being an asshole. Like no one wants to jump in on a collaboration with you if you're a dick. Right. And so, you know, no, you people learn that, to, I yeah. tell people that all the time, like when you do a documentary, like these take years. And so it's like, literally when you're doing a first pitch with someone, you're talking to a collaborator, you're like, I got to know that I want to like hang out with you, have dinner with you, talk to you, text with you, follow you on Instagram. Like, cause if I don't, it's just not worth the energy, right? No one's doing yeah. these things to get rich. You're doing it cause you love it. Um, and I think that's the thing that like, yeah, like you a hundred percent can't be a dick. Like mm. you have to really, you know, be someone that people want to hang with. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff, man. All right. So yeah, so you made all the way out to Lewis and Clark. I mean, back in the days when I was young, like, I don't know if you know, Simon Fraser University, right? So they used to be NAIA. So Lewis and Clark was always coming up and playing. Now they're, they're, they're division two NCAA. So, and they actually, the men's team is playing university of uh, British Columbia tonight in the Buchanan cup. So that'll be good. I'll be going out to that and um, expecting a couple thousand people, which is good for us, right? It's good to to be back and see those games and, and the rivalries. Um, you get to university, you know, you, like you said, you like, you love hoops so much. You're the guy who's the like practice player for the women's program. Side note, how does that come around? And two, while you're in school, how do you start to take your direction? I mean, you talked about being, a, a you know, into writing at a young age, recognizing that that was a good skill set for you. And how did you start to figure it out? Cause I think it's hard, you know, being a high school teacher, these kids 17, 18, they've so much pressure on themselves to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And it's like, you're going to change so much in the next five, six years. You know, I just oh, asked absolutely. you, I you pulled an Aaron t- Mitchell. I just asked you 408 questions. No, it's perfect. So I'll sit back here and uh, <laughs> listen no, up. It, yeah, it's perfect. I mean, that was, for me, it was very much like the practice player thing. So sophomore year, I took like basketball as an elective class and um, we had a new women's coach that year, this woman, Coach Folks, and she was awesome. And so me and my friend, like we're in the class and uh, she basically asked us, she's like, hey, like, would you guys want to practice against my girls? Uh, and I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And so both of us like joined in and I was already friends with most of them on the team and both the guys and the girls. And so it was just like a natural kind of transition to once again, be around the game, be around your friends and like be able to help. Like being scout team, like being able to like, you know, just like you go in there to make them better is awesome. And so that was great. And so then it just kind of, you know, continued into the career part. Time out. Can you talk about how good those women were at basketball? Oh yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, like, I mean, I mean, some people are probably like, Oh, whatever. Like, you know, I still think there's a little stigma out there. It's like, let Let's not fool ourselves. These are no, hoopers, no. Man. I mean, these are no. I mean, like, if you're playing, I don't care if you're playing D one, D two, D three, NIA, whatever. Like, if you're playing collegiate basketball, men's or women's, like, you can hoop. 
Like we're talking like you were, you may not have been like the biggest like high school in, in your, you know, state or city, but like Mm -hmm. you were starters, you were getting like, you were, you know, like, you know, you were definitely getting 20 and 10 in high school. And so you're able to come, but no, these women were amazing. And especially the guards, like that was the toughest thing. Like I'm only five, nine. So like trying to stay in front of them, trying to like, you know, get in passing lanes, like trying to buy them up was like definitely tough. Did you find yourself like uh, being conscious of like, like what you're putting in your body during the day and stuff. Cause you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta ball out of practice today. Or like, or are you just like, living like a college so. kid? yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think as a college kid, you're just like, Oh, like if I live directly on like Papa John's pizza, like that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, it really doesn't matter, <laughs> but no, but that was awesome. And so like at that point, right. Like I went to college, like kind of, as you were saying with like your, your high school students for me it was never about like a lot of people go there to go on and become diplomats or lawyers or scientists. And, I just knew I wanted to like do the liberal arts. Like I wanted Mm. to learn and, and like learn the love of learning, but really it was like, I wanted to follow my passion and my passion was hoops. And so the fall of my junior year, I was doing uh, like a a broad study abroad, but it was really like an arts and theater program in New York city. And it was an internship intensive. So I knew I needed to get an internship, you know, for like three days a week. And so that, like sophomore spring semester is actually really cool. So um, the beat writer for the Oregonian um, Mm. was away for a week and they had an open call to submit stories, you know, to the Oregonian. And if it was like good enough, then they'd publish it. So I I had a story published. And so that was like my, other than like my high or my college, like newspaper, you know, clips, this was like, I had a real clip in a real newspaper and it was a column about the Blazers draft day woes and how at the time it was like, Quintel Woods and just all these like really bad misses like for like kind of where they were coming out of like the jailblazers era yeah and so I had this great clip and I was like looking for an internship and um, I got it at Dime Magazine um, you know which was obviously kind of like the counterpunch to slam and really like the basketball lifestyle magazine and so it was awesome so I did that some like semester uh, like uh, fall of my junior year and it went so well that these guys literally wanted me to drop out of school and work for them full time. And I was like, no, no like yeah. I will come back. <laughs> like, cause I know if I like leave now, I'll never finish. And so like, yeah. I'll come back. I, I kept writing for them for the last like three semesters. And then after college, like, you know, went and worked for them full time and, you know, worked my way up from editorial assistant all the way to managing editor and was running the mag in a couple of years. Just casually. Yeah. And then a couple of years later was running the mag, you know, no big deal. It was a small team. It was, <laughs> It was not as glamorous as you think, you know, if you saw our offices, shout out to 291 Broadway. This office was had much like, uh, you know, uh, much to desire. We'll put it, put it that way. One thing that's common on this show is the success people get doesn't seem to be any flukes, right? It's people that are vulnerable that are willing to take that leap. And I think you, it sounds like your first leap was I'm going to put, try to get this article in and get some exposure and not be afraid of what people comment about it or think about it. Was that, is that safe to say as well? Oh yeah. You got to have like my nickname that they, my like streetball name that they gave me a dime was, was go get them. And it was just this (laughs) mentality, right? It's like, you're an intern. You're living your dream, like literally probably my first week on the we job. We street ball names in my in our school too. I love that. I know. Yeah. What would your what would yours be? Oof. That's a good uh, you put me on the spot here. I know. I'll, by the yeah. end of this, by the end of this, I'll I'll give you a street ball name because I also don't think you can give yourself a street ball name. Someone yeah. else has to give it to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
but no, but it was like, yeah, the first honey, I got a new tattoo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's like, you know, there you're, I remember I went to like the NBA live launch party and like my first week I'm interviewing like Dwayne Wade and all these, and it was just like so fun, but you're like thrust into it. And I think like, once again, like there are endless opportunities out there and it's really, are you going to like really jump on it and deliver? Or are you just kind of like hope for the world to come to you? Cause I have friends um, that I love dear friends, but they wait for the world to come to them. And it's like, that's just not how the world works. It's like too competitive and you really got to want it. You know, no mm-hmm. one's going to like, you know, come and recruit you and you're not going to wait for the job posting for the dream job. Like the, like I tell kids all the time, like there is no job posting for the job you want. Like you need to figure out where you want to work, what you want to do. And if you have something to add value, then you will have an opportunity. And I always said that, like, I was like, I would work anywhere for free for three months because I know I would make myself indispensable. And then Mm. we can do the contract negotiation. You know, Mm. it's like now you're going to not want to unwind me. You're going to want to like lock me up long-term. Taking them to church on a Friday. Easy now. (laughs) Easy now. I love it. I love it. I'm here for this, man. I just, I have a teach a leadership class. We are listening to this episode. We're listening to that clip. They're all sitting there in my room right now looking at me because when it gets released, this is going to be awkward, but man, that is such free game right there. And you're absolutely correct. And I think, and without sounding like what they would call me an old head, right? I think we lost a little bit of that, that understanding that like, you've got to show your worth before someone's going to give you the bag, right? You know, you've got to be able to volunteer, do something for free, something that's bigger than you to show people and then show your skill set. Like I remember one of my first jobs of being a cook at one of the local restaurants here. And I got, I went right to line chef, right? Cause I, you know, I used my personality in the interview and they're like, oh, you know, and then I think a couple of people kind of grumbled and they're like, how come he didn't do, you know, dishes first. So they put me on dishes for two shifts and I've never done I've never worked harder. I was like, there's no chance I'm working another day of dishes. And I was the best dish guy you possibly could do. Right. Cause, and I, I think there's a little bit, we want that quick, that quick result. You know, I think that's where we're at a little bit in life. And I think that's really, really good takeaway. I'm talking way too much, but um, that's powerful stuff right there. Understanding. No, I mean, think about like, I mean, people talk about putting in your 10,000 hours, but like, you know, if you're a photographer and that's your passion and you want to go be a professional photographer, you don't go up and show up at, you know, Rolling Stone magazine and say, Hey, like, can you pay me to take photos at this concert? They're like, well, what are the photos you've taken? It's like, well, no, no, I haven't taken photos yet. I'm waiting for you to pay me to take these photos. They, they laugh you out the room. Like you got to have a, you know, a whole portfolio. You got to show everything you've done. Like same with the writer. Like you think someone sells a screenplay off of a pitch? Like, no, like they write spec scripts. They prove that they can do it, that people want to hire them. And I think that's what the world is. It's like really about putting yourself out there and doing what you want to do and then proving that like you're someone that someone wants to work with, because Mm -hmm. that's the thing that kids have to understand now is like, it's never been more competitive. So if it comes down to you and someone else and someone else wants it more, like we're going to go with that kid because, you know, even if they're less talented on paper, they are going to really drive uh, and put in that extra like hours that is like where the difference you know gets made up anyways yeah for sure man love it and this this guy's been there done that people like this is not a person who hasn't like you know gone after it or whatever he's a nice sounding young man but uh there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes here so keep going with that that dime magazine and to talk about kind of the next transitions and what your visions are while you're doing dime, are you like working on like side things or, you know, someone who's in that industry? I'm just, I'm just curious. Cause I mean, 
you you clearly have that artistic vision and so are you are you a guy who's got like 10 plates going at once or you know how does that work for you no so it's funny so it's like in you know for me like when i do something i have to give it my all right i think mm. that's the thing i think you talk about side hustles and stuff i think i think you can have side interests and you can find how to like make the world work but when i work somewhere and someone pays me full time like you have my interest that's not to say that i'm not interested in other things or think about other stuff, but I always try and bring it back. And so, you know, Dime was amazing. You know, we built this awesome mag. And then at a time after like probably about five years, like I reached that point, which sounds crazy for this podcast, but I kind of like burnt out on basketball, right? Like yeah. when you live it, breathe it, this was like the early days of social media. So, you know, we're like launching a Twitter account. We're launching a Facebook account, like where you're blogging 24 seven, like on trade deadline day, I'd literally have interns just bring me slices of pizza. And I'm just like every rumor, every trade, every single thing that's going up, just like blogging like, like nuts. But it was like, I wanted it more than anyone else. And so it was amazing. But at one point I decided for life, I was like, Hey, I'm, I kind of want to like write about other stuff. And so rather than do it on the side, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I need to give it my all. So I left and, and launched my own website called how to make it.com inspired by the you know short run um, HBO series, how to make it in America. And it was really a, a platform to kind of like put all the things I was really interested in at the time under one roof. And so it was really telling inspirational stories and aspirational stories. And so I wanted to be on one side, I want to be someone's first interview. So coming from the media world, like knowing how hard it is to have someone cover you, whether you're a rapper, whether you're an artist, like whatever it is, you know, before you can hit the, the complexes of the world, the faders of the world, whatever, like someone has to be your first. And so yeah. I always wanted to be like, when I see something cool, I want to be someone's first interview. And then the flip side, I want to be for the people that have made it. And, you know, I wanted to like really tell these definitive stories. I'm like, tell me the cheat codes. Like, what are the things that people would want to ask you and like, no, and have never asked you. And, and like, what's part of that blueprint? way before like this idea of entrepreneurship and stuff was like really like in vogue and um, where kind of everyone was pushing it. So I did that and um, quickly realized that like when you launch a site, like, I had no desire to kind of like do the business side at that point. So I wanted mm -hmm. to partner in um, and like sell advertising because I was like, all right, how do I monetize this? So I started, I was talking to my buddy who at the time was running Soul Collector Magazine. And we we're going to kind of have um, a partnership where I was like, hey, you guys can really help on our side. And and like, you know, your writers that write about sneakers 24 seven, they probably have things they want to write about outside of sneakers. And I'll give them a platform and I'll help you guys kind of grow and scale. But quickly when I was like, all right, like what's paying the, you know, rent was I started freelancing with Nike basketball. And so it started as during March madness in 2012 led into they're like, Hey, like you want to stay on for the playoffs. And, and so did the NBA playoffs all the way through the finals. And that led to a full-time job that was going to be in Portland at or in Beaverton at Nike headquarters, but they ended up giving half of um, the social accounts over to an agency in New York City called Team Epiphany. And so they're like, hey, like go over there and, you know, go be the social voice of, of Nike Hoops. And the mission was awesome because once again, like this also kind of goes into like seeing those tea leaves where for me, you know, there was there was a time and like the story I like to tell people was it was back in the day, right? You have a, a Nike shoe launch. So and they would fly you out to L.A. You get to hang with Kobe and Eric Avar, the shoe designer and whatever. And then all of a sudden, one time Nike said, hey, here's a website. 
Here's all the photos taken. We've already gotten the quotes from the guys. We just need you to post it on Dime. And then we just need you to link back to our site. And we're like, something changed, right? And this was right as brand was starting to become publisher. And that was a time where I was like, oh, well, once brand becomes publisher, brand needs editorial people. And so that was like what led into the transition of going to work with Nike and kind of you know, we launched their Instagram account. And for them, they had a problem where, you know, they spent all of their money for the most part, you know, on big campaigns for Kobe and LeBron and Kevin Durant, but they had like 200 other players in the league, like wearing their shoes and they wanted to kind of storytell around them. And so that's what we kind of did. And so I did that. And then once, and then like, while still kind of on the side, like doing how to make it, but all things kind of outside of basketball. And then once Soul Collector sold to Complex, I was like, these guys are on the next wave. And so this was like, you know, it was like straight editorial world. Then it's like, you know, this brand as publisher. And the next thing was branded content, which was not a, literally a term when I started. It was literally just becoming a thing. And when before is this? that, like, what, like what, what, what year are we talking? We're talking 2013. Yeah. Okay. So at that point, like, yeah, at that point, like less than 10 years ago, if you were a brand and you did content, it was called advertorial, right? Like if you were working with a magazine, you wanted to do a spread or something. And we were like, no, no, like, let's change this. Like, let's make it where, you know, I came into complex and built the branded content division where I was like the defender of editorial to sales and marketing and the advocate of sales and marketing to editorial. And I sat in there because I'd done both sides and I know how to be on the brand side. I know how to be on the, on the editorial side. And I was like, guys, like the first thing that we do as like editors is like, we want to do things that have budget and we never have budget. So like, let's use these brand dollars to do what we want to do and everyone wins. And so, you know, we did that and it was awesome. And, you know, I did that for a couple of years. Crazy, man. It's funny, like you mentioned, like who would think that you'd get tired of interviewing Dwayne Wade? You know what I mean? I mean, it's funny to say, but for real. And then I guess as a reporter too, like, do you find that like sometimes it's a little bit groundhog day-ish in terms of like just asking kind of the same questions? Like you ever watch Nardwar's interviews? Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, we all like to just be like a Nardwar, you know what I mean? Well, so but we kind of were for Dime. Yeah. Like I, that was what I loved. Like when I was in a locker room, I would never ask you about the broken play or, yeah. you know, the nagging injury. Like I was like, what's on your, at the time, iPod, right? Like, what are you listening to before the game? Like what's in your sneaker rotation? What, what did you buy with your oh, first game go. check? Yeah, and, yeah. And so it's like. Did the guys draw you to that? Like, I feel like. Oh, they'd just yeah. Be like, they'd be like, sorry, what? Oh, yeah. I'm going to focus my attention over here because. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, some of those friendships that you make are because at the time, right, I'm like after college, like all these kids are either like, you know, either a little younger than me or like my age. And so you kind of just like realize it's like not to stereotype the industry of like the longtime NBA beat writer, but most of them are older white men. And so for yeah. me as like a younger dude that like I could have been their roommate at, at Texas or Yukon or Michigan or wherever, it was interesting to be able to just like, yeah, like I, I'm going to talk to you about the stuff outside of the game because we let everyone else do that. Right. And I think that's just yeah. also like the competitive, like separation of like, let you guys do what you want to do best. And you can, you know, get the quote for the story you want to write. I'm like, I'm not trying to just write a story out about a game recap. Like I cared really about the players and kind of like this whole mission and mantra that then we like built out a whole brand and, you know, a whole company and uninterrupted around this idea of more than an athlete was mm -hmm. I really cared about what these guys did off the floor. Like we all had this like universal love and understanding through basketball 
But other than that, it's like, all right, like, where are you from? What do you like to do? What are your favorite movies? Like, like you're a rapper too. Like, great. Like, let's talk about that. Yeah, no, I, I love it, man. That's so good. And this is like pre sort of, you know, Instagram hasn't really taken off or anything yet, you know, and these guys and women don't have these platforms yet to get those stories out. Right. And I think that is one of the cool parts of where we're at today is that the regular person can connect with these people or at least know a little bit about their lives. So like it humanizes them a little bit more, you know, and cool that you kind of have that vision ahead of time um, to just sort of connect with the, you know, the athletes on a different level. Cause I'm sure like JJ Reddick went off on his podcast the other day talking about like he's with his ESPN. Right. And he's like, how many times are we going to waste? And he's just calling out his own companies, like talking about the 10 seed Lakers. If that like, because it's LeBron, we have to scrutinize LeBron and everybody like there are so many other good teams and young talents out there, but we're just going to continue to just tell the same boring ass story, right? Because for whatever reason, the company says so, or that'll get the most, you know, likes, comments, and then people can bash LeBron as they always do or whatever it is, right? So kind of interesting to hear that you had that that vision early on. I'm interested too, is there, when you're growing up, was there a big reader in your family? Was someone a writer? Like what, what got you drawn to that so early on? And then why was in your, your, your creative brain, was it something that you took on as at a young age or? Yeah, it's a good question. Like, I mean, my mom's a voracious reader. My dad is a voracious jazz uh, fan and collector, mm. but we all loved movies and we loved sports, but it was really, to me, it was like just about storytelling. Right. And mm. that's like, the common thread for my whole career and the medium has changed, right? Like from blogging and cover stories to social media, to brands, to documentaries and, you know, trying to make feature films and scripted television, you know, it's all the same. Like, you know, anyone could say anything, like none of it matters. Like you could have, you know, Spike Lee lined up and, you know, like Denzel ready to act. But if there isn't a great story to tell, it doesn't matter because everyone like, you know, we talk about like serving the brand and like, we're just people to serve a bigger brand, whether that brand is uninterrupted, whether that brand is slammed, you know, we're just, you know, like, we're all like, you know, they're the brand leads. But I think that's the thing is like, people forget that like, without the story to tell, we got nothing to to conjure up, you know? And so that's what I've just loved to do is just find stories. And that's why I think like, whether it's interviewing your next door neighbor, whether it's interviewing your grandparents, whether it's like, whatever it is, you know, just like talking to me, you talk about Nardwar, it's like the guy's a, a professional master interviewer, you know? And yeah, maybe that's like your streetball name is just Nardwar. Cause I feel like Mitch, you got the game right here, man. I love it. It's funny. I'm snickering as you're talking because it's like, I'm like, this dude is, like a good decade ahead of me in my brain because it took me this long to realize that doing a podcast is storytelling, right? I just sit here and listen and I've learned so much just doing 97 episodes and chatting with people, right? And like you say, I think an early skill is if you can become a good question asker and listener, man, you can just grow so much in your own life and your own way. Like there's so many powerful things, but I think when we're in our teens, we're pretty selfish, you know, and then we are like worried about what am I going to do? Where's my career? As opposed to if you just pause and have real conversations with people, lots of good takeaways, man. This Well, but you get it. I mean, you as an interviewer, right? Like, yeah. and let's put you on the spot. I mean, this is what it's about. Like some people have like, you know, when I thought about interviewing, right. And I was coming up in the industry, you write your 10 questions in advance, you do your, you do your um, research and you're like, all right, I'm going to ask Dwayne Wade this about Marquette. And I'm going to ask him this about Miami. I'm going to ask him this about Chicago, but like, And so what happens where you learn and where the nuance is, if you just go question to question, 
your interview sucks. Like <laughs> what you need to do, which you've done this whole interview, like this whole conversation is you need to like go based on like what you just talked about. And so I think mm. like being able to make those transitions, I think that, that's where like, you know, like that's why people talk about like, was it hard to make a documentary? Like a documentary to me, I approach it the same way. Cause once again, I didn't go to film school. Like this mm. wasn't my thing, like to produce a doc, I approached it the same way I would produce a feature story. Like who am I interviewing? What's the subject? And then when, after you do every interview, the best question at the end of the interview is who else should I talk to for this story? And because there's no matter how much research you could do in the world, if like Dwayne Wade says like, you know, my barber actually has the best thing and anecdote to write about this, like he wasn't going to be on my interview list. And so then he connects you with the barber. The barber's like, oh, you actually got to talk to his trainer. And so it just kind of like snowballs from there. You know, we're working on this big um, John Thompson documentary that we've been working nice. on for the last couple of years. And, you know, we just brought on the writer the, um, that worked with John on his, um, auto, like on his autobiography. I came as a shadow. This guy, Jesse I just Thompson. ordered that last week. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can't uh, wait. Shout out yeah. Jesse. Um, and our director, Kirk, but I was talking to Jesse earlier and right, like we're putting together the kind of like back half of the interview list and things and going through it. But yeah, there's only so much research can do. And I think the stories that we want to tell, like haven't even been able to be written to be researched yet. Right. So like a lot of it is conversations like this oral histories to then even know who you want to talk to and the stories you want to chase. But yeah, I, it's funny because I'm thinking the process of this, this show and this is, these are my notes. You know what I mean? Like, at, uh, and before it would, I'd have two pages and I'd be like, oh, someone's, you averaged uh, 18.2 points in your second year in Italy. And I'm like, no one gives a shit about that. You know, like I want to hear the other stuff that you're willing to let us hear, you know? And so uh, it's cool, man. When did the film stuff start to come into play for you? And, you know, like when were those moments? How does one get, like, I just went to, um, did you, do you know, Cat Jamie? He yeah, her. yeah. so we went to the, the Grizzly got, truth is amazing film. Yeah, yeah we went and checked that out so just so cool to see but like like you said we've been working on this project for a few years like I think people just assume that a documentary comes together in like six months and then you know and so no yeah so for for me at the time right I'm at complex life is good branded content division big team love and life and then we had a big joint venture when I was there between complex and Mountain Dew called Green Label um, and my client on um, the Mountain Dew side was this guy by the name of Jamal Henderson um, and so Jamal in March of when was that 2015 comes up to me and says, Hey, you know, I'm leaving Mountain Dew. I'm going to become the president of Spring Hill entertainment and work with LeBron James and Maverick Carter. Uh, he's like, and I'm like, amazing. Congrats. He's like, yeah. And he's like, I want you to be my first hire. Uh, I'm like, well, that sounds amazing. Like, let's go. And so the cool thing was at the same time, you know, one of my mentors throughout my career is this guy by the name of Paul Rivera. And so Paul, um, who goes by PR and I, you guys may know him. Um, he's the co-creator of the shop um, that Uninterrupted does, um, created with with uh, why am I, with Randy Mims and and everything. But anyways, PR went from he had this awesome career where he went from Dime to Nike Basketball in New York City, and then global brand manager in Nike Basketball in Portland. Uh, worked on the LeBron business, was down at Beats by Dre, and then left Beats to start his own agency, and then ultimately partner with LeBron and Mab to create the robot company. And so at the same time that Jamal is asking me to come and, you know, work with him at Spring Hill, PR is saying, hey, like, will you come work with me over at Robot? 
Uh, and I'm like, well, like, is there a world where I can do both? And so at this point, it's, they're really just startups. You know, I'd be Jamal's first hired, probably be the fourth or fifth hire over for PR. And I met Maverick and I was able to work across both companies and kind of be employee zero for uninterrupted. Um, that nice was, to be in that was, position too, though, right? Like, you're like, hey, these guys want me. I might as well throw the question out. Can I do both? Like, yeah. No, of know? course. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was, it was also, it kind of goes back to like how I've always, pursued these things was I felt like I could do the agency like consultancy stuff really well based on what I was doing. But your question about like what was driving me into, you know, long form storytelling was I really wanted to get into film and TV and do docs. And so to be able to like, you know, help and work with brands on the agency side, but then also like be a development exec and, and try and, you know, make movies. And, you know, it was, it was amazing. And so and, you know, be really like employee zero at uninterrupted, which at the time was just the digital arm of Spring Hill. Um, and so, you know, by, I, you know, I take the job in June right after the playoffs um, or after the finals, we do an overall deal at Warner Brothers in July. And by December, we'd raised money to kind of spin uninterrupted off and turn it into its own media company and, you know, ultimately turn into the athlete empowerment brand that it is today. But it was amazing. And so from there, it was kind of like, it was awesome because it was really to be like, I'd never been in it, you know, while Dime was small. I'd never been at like a true startup, right? One where it's like, you're kind of highly capitalized at first and you have, you know, the biggest celebrity in the world and LeBron at the top. And, you know, the goal was to empower athletes and, and tell their stories. And so, yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal ride and one that lasted almost five years until I got this opportunity that I really just couldn't pass up to come over and, and lead slam um, as COO and launch our sister studio and RTG features. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A hoop's journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. After a brief hiatus, Good Lad Clothing has returned, but under a new location, 3283 Main Street is where they can be found. Name drop a hoop's journey to get 10% off any clothing items in store. The store no longer offers barber, but you can find the best retail around. Thanks to our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing, and we hope to see you there. Yeah, and so your resume, man, like, <laughs> it's crazy. Is this is this a common thread in, in sort of that industry that you're in that, like, people kind of pulling and pushing or going to do their own thing and, like, or was it because a lot of these things are fresh, like Dime, and, like, you guys are kind of, I mean, Slam is already around, but in terms of, like, the platform and the sense of, like, you're talking about, you know, Nike and, and okay, now they need actually someone to hire to do this for them, as opposed to like going and meeting them. It's like, I need you to type this up and do this. Like it's starting to happen when you're at this time, if I'm making sense with my question, like, yeah, yeah like, it, or is, like, is it, it is common like, to right. jump around this much? Or is this just, or you well, I mean, your hoops journey is nuts, by the way. It's no, crazy. And, yeah. and, it, and it's crazy. Cause I don't even feel like it's jump around a lot. Like, you know, yeah. I graduated college in 07. So I'm like, 
a good, what, 15 years into my career now, um, which is kind of crazy to think about, <laughs> um, you know, but no, it's, I've always felt right. And in every job, like even, even working in, and Maverick knows this and everything, when I worked it uninterrupted, I never thought I would ever leave. Right. Like I loved working there. I think Maverick and LeBron and the rest of the team are just like first class and everything. And it's a once in a lifetime, like who it says that like they stop working for LeBron, right? Like that just doesn't make sense. But I've also always felt right. And I never look for jobs. I've been lucky enough throughout my career to like, because as I said, when I'm in a job, I give it my all. I give it my morning, noon, and nights. I give it all my best ideas. Like I'm not out here like running a side hustle or anything. Mm-hmm. Shout out to side hustles, like great, you know, for yeah, people yeah, yeah. that can do it. I just, that's just not my thing. Like I want to just like make wherever I'm at, like I want to put it, leave it all on the floor. But for me, it's always like I've like you do reach a point in your career and especially when opportunities come to you. You know, I was having a, a, a conversation with a friend of mine, you know, who the the CEO at the parent company that owns Slam and he's someone that we work together. You know, this guy by the name of Peter Robert Casey, PRC, good friend of Mark Starkey's. And so PRC and I work together um, for the Nike basketball stuff. But anyways, when he came to me, he was coming to just pick my brain. He's like, hey, we're looking for a COO. Do you know anyone? This is what we're looking to do. This is how we're trying to scale Slam. I was like, ah, oh, let me think about it. Um, and then he's like, and we want to launch a sister studio. Da, da. And I was like, well, like, I was like, if I could do both, like, that's interesting, right? It's the same thing. It's like, I my, not that like, I have bigger eyes than my <laughs> stomach. It's more like, <laughs> if I feel like I can add value to a situation, and that's it. And that's like, that's how I live my life and do business all the time. Because a lot of people just want to go for the ride and be down. But whenever I'm pitching a writer, a talent, a director, they could have a project, they could have an amazing script, and they come to me. And I'm like, hey, like, I only want to join this package if I think I can add value. If it's not one plus one equals three or one plus one equals five, it's not worth it for you. And if you're just like ultimately trying to like get connected to someone at Netflix, I'll just connect you to someone at Netflix. Like it's no skin off my back. Like I truly believe in the ability to pay it forward and that everything you put out there really does come back to you. And you talk about this world and bouncing around. It's like, I just pride myself on like, I want, everyone I've worked with and anyone that ever listens to this or meets me or whatever to know that like Aaron's a stand-up dude Aaron believes in what he says and that like you know that's something that like you know my coaching tree for lack of a better word like in all my former interns and people I've worked with and hired like they've gone on to amazing things and a lot of that's just because like I feel like I've done right by them and I tell people that work for me today that it's like hey like if this isn't the place for you like everyone I think is still in a weird world where it's like people are afraid to ask for help you know because they think that means they don't know what they're doing you know people are afraid to like raise their hand and say like hey like what can I be doing better? Cause they think that means that like is showing weakness versus strength. And I'm like, if you have the, the fortitude, like, or like mental, you know, acuity or whatever it is to, to know that, like, if I say like, Hey, it's not about like, I put this on your plate, you got to do it by any means necessary. It's like, no, like understand what you can and can't do. And knowing that like, you need help, like, that's what I want to hear. Like, you know, and I think some people are just so worried about that in this day and age because they just feel like, their job is on the line or they feel insecure in what they do. But I'm like, no, like that actually shows your awareness. And, you know, the fact that like you really, if I was an NBA player and I wasn't, you know, getting on the floor or it's like, I wanted, like, I would like 
figure out coach, like, what do I need to do to get better? It's not enough just to be here. I'm one of like the most rarefied people there, but it's like, I actually want to like play more. I want to like be, do this or what it's like, well, let me know. And I hope people don't worry that they're just like have imposter syndrome and they're afraid, like, well, how'd I get this in the first place? It's like, well, you got here cause you're great. And someone saw something and you said like, now it's just time to deliver. Yeah. And that, I think you're talking about like really positive cultures too, right? When you have a culture where people are vulnerable enough to to say to their boss or colleague, like, I don't know what I'm doing here or lean on each other. That's when the most powerful things happen. Um, and you have the best environments, right? Nobody's on edge and everyone believes that they're all there for the greater good and, and to get things done. You know? Yeah. You think I bounce around, like there's people yeah. <laughs> that like in this younger generation, they'll do a job like for a year or two or less of them leave. You know, it's like, I feel like I really put my time in a bunch of places and as opportunities mm. came, but I think it's just like, I also have a friend last night I had like dinner with after the screening, who's been in the same job for the last 13 years since he graduated college. And he's like, I'm looking for something else. It's funny. Like, you know, he's literally like looking to get back. He played college basketball at Lewis and Clark and he's looking to get into the field. And I'm like, yeah, like just, you know, I'm like, once again, like, what do you want to do? What excites you? You know, your, what you've been doing in the healthcare field definitely can translate to something, but it's like, what are the skills that you're most excited about? And that's what I love. I mean, I've been like a super engaged alumnus at Lewis and Clark and love touching. And I love that you're a teacher and all your students, because what I tell people all the time in these situations is like, until emails cost money, like send an email, at least one a day to someone you've never emailed before, because it literally costs you nothing. And the worst case is they don't reply. The best case is, I don't know, you get a job, whatever, like a hundred, you know, like, so I I could read an article today in the New York times. And I have that author's like email address and I email and say, Hey, this was a great article. Thank you so much. Like maybe they reply, maybe they don't. Like every day I'm emailing a different production company, a different writer, a different agent, a manager, um, you know, a producer, someone, a brand, you know, every day, whether, you know, because I'm just like, Hey, like by doing this and putting it out there, the worst thing is they don't reply, but it's like, they're not going to email me if I don't like start that emotion. So that's why I tell folks all the time where it's like, it's like, you have that at your disposal, you know, in terms of being able to do it. And I think that's like what kind of like helps build this network and things and people. Um, So that way, when people say like, Hey, this isn't for me anymore. I'm like, great. Like I'll connect you with anyone that I know. Um, You know, these are not like, I do not like, I'm not proprietary with my connections and contacts. Um, You know, if there's a true like understanding of things and um, then I'm like, yeah, like they're going to know that I'm going to want to connect people with them and vice versa. You know, someone gets let go from their company. I'm like, let me know who I can connect you with. Like, like, like I got nothing at stake other than like, I, I want, like maybe then they're in a position where they have a budget. They want to green light a film. They want to do a branded deal. Like, it's like, great. Like they're going to think like highly, but I'm not doing this for like quid pro quo. I'm doing it. Cause I just think like you put good things out there. Good things will happen to you. Yeah, I agree, man. I couldn't have said it better myself. You mentioned that slam was like a, you say like couldn't miss opportunity or a dream kind of thing. Was it because of the role and the position? Was it because of what slam? Cause for me, like slam was my ish, right? I I'm dead serious. I was on a yellow bus driving to, to uh, uh, Seattle, getting on the plane to go to the Vegas, to the AAU tournament. And I had my Larry Johnson slam and I was like, this changed my life. And I instantly like, what, what do you want for your birthday? I want a subscription to slam. And I had slam all over my walls. They brought in the elements of hip hop, 
clothing, you know, all the other things that just didn't exist in other magazines. So like for me, like I'm a huge slam guy too. So is it that, is it the, I mean, is it a combination of both or, you know, like, and, and, uh, and how's yeah, it been no, at Slam? Be, yeah. Yeah. To be at the time when I was 35, right. Cause I like, yeah, 20, uh, 2020 when I came over. So yeah, to be like, like, yo, like starting from a subscription growing up to then like, you know, helping like run a company, like is crazy. And just like, you know, but to me, it was really the challenge and the opportunity, right. Cause I'm not someone that could go and work at a giant company and help like the machine continue to run. Right. Do like, sleep? like, do you sleep? Yo, eight hours a night. Look at you. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm someone that like, I'm someone that like wants to add value. Right. And I, yeah. and something. so to me, like I knew, I don't think, I, sorry to cut, oh, cut you off. No, of course. I don't think a lot of people look at their, like, it's a good way. It's a good framing is like, how do I add value to this? Like, even as a teacher, like, how do I add value to the students and to my colleagues? Like, we don't, I don't hear that a lot. I don't know why. Like, we just look you at it like, this to. is my job and my, this is my nine to five. And then I spit out some stuff and then I go home and then I but do it all But think about again. it. If you, yeah. if you didn't add value, they'd replace you with a teacher yeah. that did. So you do, whether you think about it or not, sure. because it's not about teaching a subject. A subject can be taught self-learn you know like you talk about re- like someone could just like talk to pick them. up the curriculum they talk could do their own them. thing you know so it's like <laughs> yeah it's literally not about that it's about these intangibles it's the fact that they're like oh like i have interests outside of school like my teacher like runs a podcast like and actually in like like that's interesting like mm-hmm. my favorite the person that put me in my whole journey was one of my high school teachers and it was literally because he was more than a teacher this guy before he taught he was in like state senate he'd written like 10 books he was in like the harvard men's choir he like he was uh brewed his own beer he like was like like harvested his own honey from his own bees like this guy lived a life and then taught and i always felt that because i eventually want to do what you're doing you're talking about like where my career is headed it wants to literally go in a full circle back to being a high school teacher and coaching basketball that's what i want to do when it's all said and done because I want to inspire the next kid that is me. And yeah. so at Lewis and Clark, the thing that was so interesting is because like, we're like a top 10, like school that gives um, kids to teach for America okay. and I, and teach for America, amazing organization, love it. Like, you know, whole thing. But the thing that I think is tough about it is like, if you are teaching at 22 years old, you have zero life experience. Like you have nothing to share, nothing to do. Like, can you imagine like, me being a high school teacher, you know, when I'm older and I can say, oh yeah, like when I was 22 years old, like I was interviewing Dwayne Wade, like who's now in the hall, of, like all these things. Like I worked for yeah. LeBron. Like, it's like these kids will like perk up, not that I'm trying to be cool, but they're just like, oh, this guy lived a life. He's not, you know, cause some yeah. people say like you teach cause you can't do. I'm like, that's bullshit. You yeah. teach cause you love to teach. You couldn't do anything. You've done things. It's about like, where do you want to put your time and energy and so that's why, like any opportunity I get to go and speak to students or, you know, mentor people or intern or anything, it's like, I take it because I'm just trying to inspire the next generation. So they actually do some cool and don't just like, like try and be cool on TikTok. And I think too, like you're being authentic with them too, right? Because they're smart. Like these, these kids I teach, they're smarter than me in a lot of ways. So I think the best teachers are the ones that are able to share stories, right? 
you know, and so I open up my whole life. Like I let them know we have, my son is adopted. I talk about adoption. I talk about my wife and I going through miscarriages, that whole journey, like how we met, what I was like in high school. I share as many stories as I can, because I think that just connects us even more. And then, like you say, when that BS curriculum comes out, it doesn't matter. They'll, they'll buy into it no matter what it is, right. They'll, they'll eat out of the palm of my hand because they just were connected, right. As opposed to teacher student and that sort of divide. Right. And so, you, you know, you're, again, it goes down to sharing stories. The more that you share, I think it just connects that much more. Right. So well, that's what brought us, us man. We together started our own today, podcast. Right? Let's go, man. No, that's what brought us. I mean, Sam Payne sure. was my summer camp counselor in the year 2000. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a 15 year old kid. And Sam's this like tall, goofy, like Canadian basketball player guy. And we shared a love, I think of like UConn basketball and whatever, but you know, like I'm inspired by him at, at, like in that age, when you're 15, like, you know, you look up to the folks that are doing it and no matter what it is. And so, you know, like something drew him, like, you know, he was there for, I think only two years, but something drew him to like, want to say, Hey, I want to give back. Like, I want to see what this experience is all about. And like, little did he know at the time, like left a lasting impact on a kid like me that like, you know, sits with me for the rest of my career. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's funny. It's crazy how the life, how life works, man. It's like super interesting. Yeah. It's dope. Let's do some fun questions and we'll get you on your way. Sound good? No, it sounds great. Okay, man. This has been super cool. And like, I knew like, a, you know, you, you played ball and you played in high school and stuff, but like, just, I knew that the basketball stories and like, there's just so many takeaways. Anyways, my brain's turning. I'll be able to sleep tonight. That's usually a sign of a good episode is when I'm like thinking about what me and this person talked about. So it's been dope to connect. Who's been some of the most important people in your life up to this point? I know we don't like to leave people out, but too many to name. No. I mean, always too many to name, mm-hmm. um, but no, my folks, um, you know, some of the people I mentioned on this call, like, you know, PR, Jamal, Maverick, you know, just people that like believed in me, you know, like that's always the thing. I think like that's the missing piece too. It's like, cause no one has, when you're like, you know, starting out in a career, my, you know, my first boss at Dime, Pat Cassidy, you know, when people kind of bet on you and let you do it, you talk about like a quick rise. It was like, you know, he was the editor in chief. He founded the magazine with like three others. And for him, it was like, it was earned, right? But he was also like, he gave you that leash. I think it's like, you know, no one knows what they're doing when they're just coming out of school or whatever. It's like, you got to get those reps in. You got to like really mm. put yourself out there. But it's like, it's a two-way street, right? It's not just about like me thinking I'm great and then becoming great. Like that can work, you know, for rappers and stuff. If you like have to like kind of build, I've been watching you know, like, you know, Dave, the FX show, a bunch of little dicky Gata. And like, that's really like part of Gata's story where he's like, oh, like fake until you make it. Like you got to believe in yourself more than anyone else and then manifest destiny. But at the same time, like even for someone like him, like you need someone else to kind of like not only back you up and support you, but you also need someone that's going to like give you the rope to either like, you know, succeed or even fail. And failure is fine. I think that's another thing, right? I, I hope everyone knows out there. It's like, this isn't like everything has just been perfect. Like, yeah, like shoot a lot of shots and you miss a lot of shots, but it's about like learning. And so, yeah, like everyone I've worked with, like, you know, bosses, I had a, an amazing boss at Complex, Scott Churkin, who was head of biz dev and um, just people that like, once again, like, because that's the interesting thing about this world, especially when it's not someone's company, it's not their baby, right? Like I get it. If you're the CEO, you're the founder, it's like, it's all through your lens. 
But when you really think about it, even your boss and your boss's boss and your boss's boss's boss, they all just work at the same company too. And so they're trying to make, they're on their career trajectory. And so as you realize that everything is just about symbiotic. And so I would always think about it when I would pitch people, it was never about like sales. It was more like my pitch to the, you know, if I'm talking to someone at, you know, Nike or Jordan brand or Netflix or whatever, it's like, I want to get you promoted, right? Like us working together is going to help you on your career. Like you're a marketing manager now, you want to be CMO one day, like what we're doing together is going to get you to your goal. And so that kind of shared goals was always a part of it too. Like with anyone that were my mentors or bosses, because if you're on the same team, then you know that you're striving towards the same goal. I'm just pausing, man. This is too good. It's too good. I think we got into, yeah, and and competitive people too, it's hard, but you got to get to this point too where you want everybody around you to succeed, right? Like it's not like when I was a young coach, I would like hold my offenses and I wouldn't let anybody, you know, like we just, they don't know what defense we're running. Well, guess what, coach? Come March, everybody knows what you're running. And the more that I shared, the better coach I became, right? Because I wanted everybody else the way I run whatever one four high might not be the same way you will. And it won't work. You might have different players. So why wouldn't I share that? You know, you want your people, your people around you to, to do well, right? And life life's competition in some ways, but man, church. Right. If you really think, no, if you, you think life is a zero sum game, then like, it's like your, your mentality and outlook is going to be different. If you think that like, you know, you have to believe that like we can all win together. Mm-hmm. If you do, then like that competitive edge and stress kind of goes like onto the, the, the sidelines and you're able to really focus on what matters because every day it's just about prioritization, thinking what you can really take to the next level and just like, what are you going to do to be great or help someone else? And it's like, that's something that like, you know, I never, you talk about like, do I sleep or not? Like every day my to-do list is longer than the day it was before. And it's like, I try and do inbox zero and this and that, but like, there's only so much because you're literally having to triage like and, and just prioritize every single day based on whether it's a timeline, a deadline, whatever it is, internal, external, et cetera. But you got to like be okay with that because I think like that was what the cool thing about the pandemic was, was that people really did, I think, finally get like when you see someone on Zoom and they're in their bedroom or you see them and like, you know, their partner's next to them or their kid runs in the front, you're like, oh, like we're all just people. Yeah. Like you're not just a media buyer and I'm a producer. You're not this or that. It's like, we're all at the end of the day going through the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for that, it's like, it kind of humanizes it, which makes it all like, oh, okay, I'm not going to get upset. It's all good. And it's just like, and I get more no's than I get yeses. And it's like, fine. Like, and they, I know they don't love saying no to me and not buying my projects. And, you know, and I know it's tough to hear, but it's like, at the end of the day, there's this mutual respect of the dance where, it's like, yeah, like, let's figure it out. It always, every email ends like, yo, it's not this one. Let's figure out the next one. Like, yeah. what's it going to be? Like, but that's because you've built that trust and camaraderie, like over time. Amazing. Woo. Okay. But you finish a busy week. You've been working on a ton of different things. You slow down Sunday. You got a nice NBA double header. You go around to the corner store to the, to the bodega. You're going to grab some chips. What bag of chips are you grabbing? Ooh, that's a great question. I kind of like the the like Jason Tatum ruffles right now. That's like what I've been like. Uh, I forget what flavor it is. It's like a it's like a, it's like a hot buffalo or something okay. like that. I don't know. I'm gonna mess it up, but like yeah. the one that has Jason Tatum's mug on it right now. Like the marketing works. Like JT <laughs> um, has got me, but the flavor is really good too. <laughs> I listened to it. Uh, I think it was all the smoke. 
He said that he hasn't touched his contract money. He's only used his, yeah, like advertisement money. I was like, smart, but also how much money do you have, dude? Anyways, all right, there we go. Okay, let's stay with the food. How do you feel about ketchup on macaroni? Gross. I mean, it's a very Canadian yeah. thing, right? So we have craft dinner, right? I mean, no judgment, but like, no, not no, for it's, me. it's yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm anti. <laughs> it's disgusting to me too. Don't worry. Yeah. I don't think anyone who's listened this far would think that you're a judge, judgmental. I was gonna guy, say, so. I don't want like the macaroni like lobby to like come after me, right? Like, I'm not that I'm trying to be PC, but I'm like, hey, like that's not for me. Your apartment's gonna be covered in macaroni or in uh, ketchup. Yeah. No. Okay. I feel you, man. Yeah. No. It's okay. It's a very like when we were kids is like make some KD and then you squirt ketchup all over it and now you know i just want to see where adults are and it is disgusting you're correct so you're not wrong there um (laughs) okay you got the best seat in the house you can take whoever you want doesn't matter uh best like sound around you dead or alive artist doesn't matter what concert are you going to or name a couple that you that you're going to see i would have loved to see the grateful dead with jerry wow like i just think like i mean i love the music but yeah he's just one of those guys that you know you know but yeah like dad the artist for sure like Jimi hendrix like in the in the early days like Mm -hmm. before he's kind of like lighting guitars on fire and stuff (laughs) yeah yeah i'll keep it i'll keep it in the past just because i hope that everyone i want to see there you go i I get to see good answer but yeah, but Jim Morrison and the Doors would have been amazing. Janis Joplin and and would have been amazing. Just like people that it wasn't just about the music, you know, because to me personally, I'm more of a studio album guy than okay. a live show in okay. the sense of the actual music. Yeah. You know, Grateful Dead aside in the sense that like that's its own experience or something. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. To me, I'd want to go to a show where it's not just like about the music, but where I feel like I, if I love like the album cut, then I can just listen to it. It's like I want to see a performer. So that's why, like, to me, Jim, Janice, Jimmy, like those three would just be, you know, unbelievable to see live. Yeah, I remember my mom always rocking the uh, Janis Joplin record, man. Yeah, that voice, man, it's crazy. Cool. Okay, books or movies? Like, which do I prefer? We well, yeah, would take a choice. Oh, movies, movies. Okay. Do you have a, like a top five list? Or did you watch something it, recently? The top five changes, changes all the time. I but this was going to be I have a couple. I have a couple. No, no, no okay. but I have a couple. Some staples? Are, okay. They're always, yeah, like the usual suspects is always uh, my top choice. Um, it was a movie that growing up, I was very much, if my parents recommended it to me, um, I absolutely didn't want to take the recommendation like and was against it this was one i kind of capitulated and ended up watching and it's like just amazing like the the reveal and the kaiser soze of it all and i won't like say anything because i want people that haven't seen this movie to see this movie and and enjoy no spoilers if you haven't seen the movie you need to check yourself if you're out there and you're like what movie is that check yourself before you wreck yourself yeah that's amazing i'd say i put the goonies in my top five Portland. Uh, yeah, there you go. Exactly. You got to get a little, um, like, you know, a little Oregon coast on that. I'd say from like, a, like growing up, like one of my favorite movies and still to this day, I watch it like at least once a year is um, Can't Hardly Wait. Wow. Um, 
classic high school movie. Yes. Um, and then I'll give one basketball movie, of course. Like I'll say He Got Game is my favorite hoops movie of all time. Um, outside of like from the doc side, not including documentaries sure. and uh, shout out my guy, Steve James and Hoop Dreams. But um, yeah, He Got Game was just like the best. So well done, right? So well, so done. well done. Like Even though I do kind of have a little bit of pause in the modern era when I found out that the Jesus Charlesworth character, which I didn't realize at the time was really, or at least like as lore is, is like loosely based on Stefan Marbury's mm, life. And right. Steph, you know, definitely feels a way about how that came to be and, and things. But that aside, assuming that like, that's okay. And it's just like, uh, you know, Coney Island and New York prospect, or whatever, obviously like Ray and Steph and different careers, different lives and whatever. But yeah, that was like, when I heard that, I was like, oh, like that's, that's tough. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know, cause I know I'm just someone that if I'm going to tell a player story, like I got to work with the player directly. Like I would never just yeah. kind of do an inspired by I'm like, cause this is their life. Sure. You know? This is, this is your thing. You talk about this world and NIL and, and you know, IP and all of that. And it's like, I'm not trying to like make money off of you. If anything, I want to collaborate with yeah. you. So um, that's something like we're, we're really passionate about is like working with talent directly on stuff like that. Nice. Do you watch point gods? I did. what do you think? Actually, like, I thought it was great. Yeah. My buddy Sam directed it. Like, shout out Sam. He actually came to the Handle with Care screening last night, nice. which was awesome to see him. But yeah, I, I mean, like, what a, what a great concept. And I just thought, like, it was so stylized. Like, you know, Sam's producing partner, Chad, is a longtime friend, and we used to ball together. But yeah, that was that was awesome to see that one come to fruition. Yeah, and I, like you talk about connecting with people, like, I really think they did a good job of just not only like showing the best point guards, but also who they were and then their brand of basketball and the era. Like I thought it was really well done. I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. So no, I mean, that's like, was... and that's a, that's a, that's a film for hoop heads, right? Yeah. Like that's not something like, you know, even the last dance, like co-viewing can like pop culture doc, whatever. It's yeah. like, if you're watching NYC point gods, like you want to know exactly like what's the difference between Rod Strickland and Mark Jackson and yeah. like, you know, God, Sham God and Rafer and all these guys. So, yeah. uh, no, it's 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 been awesome living in New York as long as I have. Yeah, it's like the the city does. Even though we don't have like you would say like we don't have it like we used to, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, in like the prep scene. But we definitely left our mark. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Um, okay, it's you. It's a nice fall afternoon in New York. You're gonna go to the outdoor courts. It's you, and you get to pick four players all time. Who are you rolling with? But it's but it's outdoor. Like it's. You'll call your own, right? There's not, we don't have three NBA officials here. Like, who are you taking with you? Oh, well, you said dead or alive? Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, okay. All time. All time. I got to play with Kobe. Okay. RIP Kobe. I'd love to play with LeBron. I played, when I was a journalist at Diamondback, I played against LeBron one time. It was like he hopped into a scrimmage we were having in at his old high school at St. Vincent St. Mary. And we were, I forget what shoe launch it was. Uh, but it was like a media run. And so it was like media from around the world. And LeBron came in, same same high school class, you know, class of 03. And so he comes in, I'm like, I got LeBron. Like, you know, I'm, you know, just kind of jokingly. And, but yeah, that was, that was an awesome Crazy. experience. But yeah. Um, but yeah, then it was funny to like, you know, end up on the cover of the Hollywood Reporter with him, yeah. like when we were doing that. So, <laughs> but no, so yeah, I'd say Kobe, LeBron, Let's say like Moses Malone. I just have, and here's why. I just got this great stat last night. 
that Moses Malone is the all-time leader in offensive rebounds. Yes, he is. Which was only a stat as of like I think midway through the 70s. So obviously like the OGs like sure. you know aren't in the mix, but um yeah, you need a you need a guy like on the block that's going to play bully ball and get O boards and stuff. We have to go um, back I'm to a pass the first point guard. Are you? Okay. Well, yeah, you better so like, be so got then, Kobe and LeBron, so. Yeah, so I was going to say so I, so I got me at the 1, Kobe at the 2, LeBron at the 3, we'll say Moses at the four, and let's say the late great Bill Russell at the five. Wow, what a squad. What a <laughs> squad. Now, I, I, we got to go back to the footage, too, because I've always wondered about Moses and those old boards. Was he was he getting his own rebounds, or was he just that good of a, you know? I think apparently he was, like, maybe padding his stats. Yeah, like, like is his shooting like, percentage horrible, or what? Like I got to, to be honest, I got to look deeper into this, but shout out David Check, um, you know, amazing filmmaker who came out last night as well. He was, the, he's like, before you do any pitch or meeting or call or anything with him, he always starts with trivia. Uh, and Dave has this amazing career where Love he started it. out at NBA Entertainment um, and was there during all those glory years of like the early days yeah. of um, of everything that they captured and, and like all those old school docs, but has done some amazing things. But yeah, so this was his trivia, but no, I'll, I'll let you know, like okay. after this, you know, what is, what is like yeah, shooting percentage was do. as well. Who was the dude that Ricky, he missed his own shot to get the triple double. I think he was with the cat. Oh, Ricky Davis. Ricky Davis. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> but like, it didn't even hit rim. He just, I was like, that's a, that's a shot attempt, man. Like, yeah. Ricky buckets. You know I love he, Ricky Davis. There we yeah. go. Um, <laughs> so good. Um, okay. Who would you like to see? on our show hoops journey man but you got to try to help us get this person on the show is there someone out there who's got a good story um that you think is is worth kind of sitting down a good human to chop it up with there's so many (laughs) yeah i mean like there's a hundred different ways to take it like earlier in the show i was thinking like my buddy andrew hawkins would be amazing like former nfl player now worked together at uninterrupted become one of my best friends he's now running this awesome company called status pro but he's also, I, I thought of him too, because he's big in Canada because he played in the CFL before the NFL. Nice. And so like, you know, that was, that was my thing. I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of big in Canada. Carter effect, handle with care. It's like adopted son up there. But yeah, Andrew Hawkins is one idea. Brooks Meek, um, who uh, is, you know, at one point was like head of international basketball at the NBA. And um, I forget exactly what role he has right now, but works, worked at the league forever. But he went to Lewis and Clark before me and got connected to him. And so he uh, was there during the NIA years or the NAIA years yeah. and like leading for an amazing and played overseas, but his journey is awesome. And also just one that like, you know, we've, we've known each other for a long time now and our old coach connected us um, like uh, the great Bob Gaylord who coached um, his claim to fame before Lewis and Clark in D3 was he coached um, Bill Cartwright up at university San of San Francisco. Francisco. No way. Yeah, the Dons. So Coach G was awesome. And, you know, he would always connect me with like the other guys. Once he knew I was, even though I was on his team, he's like, oh man, like you're in, you're in basketball, you're a dime, you're doing all these things. Like, you got to know all my guys. So Brooks is a great dude. I think he'd be fun. And then, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think who else could be great. Like, I mean, there's so many people. I mean, this is my career. Like, literally anyone you need me to help, like, book, and I can send you a list after this. I'm not trying to like go down the list, but. There's so many people, but I think there should be something with either ties up to, to Canada or ties to, you know, that's why I like Brooks too. Cause he's like really been at the forefront of the global game. I mean, that really helped with those early 
um, I forget what they call like, well, not only just like the basketball without borders, but those like international camps, like as kids would come through and, you know, the Giannis's of the world and Dirks of the world and stuff. Yeah. So as you know, I mean, like Canada, like, I mean, I, like, I was really hoping you guys were going to have a better showing in the last Olympics, but you know, this next Olympics, like, I think you got to get the whole squad. Like Wiggins is a champion now. Shay Lou. Shay is about to be an all-star this year. Like, like, let's go. Yeah, man. It's time. It's time. They've done a good job of just, uh, you know, we're seeing more money being put into it. And so you're seeing the guys want to stick. They're doing a good job of branding and sort of cleaning things up in that sense. And so I think there's just lots of positives on the men's and women's side. The women's have had tons of, tons of success. Um, they, oh, Kia yeah, is like, yeah, oh, she's awesome. That's like, man, she's, I've DM'd her so many times. Oh, I can help. I'll help set that up. You want Kia nurse on the pod? Say less. All right. Let me, let me make some calls. I'll, I'll try and set that up. Taking a note. Cause you know, which I didn't know. So Kia, I had no idea until recently how, cause obviously I didn't like, you know, grow up in Canada and stuff, but how deep her family sports ties are, yeah, man. And, you know, dad and brother and just everything like the nurse family is just like insane up there. So Pops is running this like awesome, you know, like um, AU program and everything. And um, I think they're the only like, you know, I don't know if this is still the case, but the only Canadian team and the girls EYBL, like the whole Nike mm-hmm. summer circuit yeah, yeah. stuff is coming from Kia and her dad. But yeah, like she'd be great. Yeah. Let me let me get on that. Let me try and get Kia for you. You the man. Woo! And on that note, sir, this has been phenomenal feel like we connect in a lot of different ways. Our brains kind of operate differently, but also super cool to hear. Um, I love that we're at a place in the show where it's not just on the hardwood. It's it's behind the scenes and all those things. And you gave lots of great insight and storytelling is so, so cool, man. Before we let you go, any last sort of thoughts, reflections, shout outs? And it was great to be with you. Appreciate your time. No, thank you so much. It was amazing to be asked to participate and to come on. And yeah, like had I known, I probably would have held out for episode 100. You know, <laughs> just like I feel like I feel like that celebration is is like like long overdue and like you know soon coming. Yeah, so man. maybe yeah, maybe we'll try and get you Kia for episode 100. That'd be a good that'd be a good thing. But no, I just thank you so much, Mitch. You know, I think like anything I can do for you, the students, if there's folks that are like you know, looking to intern at SLAM that are, you know, wondering about career stuff mm-hmm. that if you ever want me to come speak in a class or anything, just let me know. You said, talked about the leadership like team you have, Yeah, man. but no, man, I love it. Like to me, this is what it's all about because, you know, once again, like, as I said, like for my school and like where so much, what success looks like and what people do, you know, I ended up on like the cover of my Lewis and Clark, like alumni magazine. And it was really just because like, they're like, wow, like he's got a different story than we've ever told before. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like the traditional one of what you go to college for and you do this study and you do this. And I've always just wanted to inspire kids, like whatever they're interested in and follow their passions. And, you know, for me, that's why it's like, it's perfect when I'm finally doing this long tail, you know, I've I've never really told this whole story in recorded form. So the hoops journey is literally the one or a hoops journey is the perfect podcast to kind of share it with. So thank you so much. No worries, man. And and I, I agree. I'm a high school teacher and I feel like we're spending a lot of time spinning our wheels on things that don't matter. Um, I wish we put more money into um, life skills, financial literacy, looking at different, you know, untypical, untypical is not even a word, listen to me, you know, career options, right? And I think we're going to see a generation of people like you who 
you know, just sort of find a way and work their way through it. Then it, and it's like, yeah, you went to school. And the thing I appreciated as we wrap it up is um, I'm a big Brene Brown guy. And she talks about wishing people would look at university as like the school of learning, as opposed to like a school of getting a piece of paper and degree, right? Like go there to learn and expand your mind. You gotta love to learn. Yeah. It's learning how to, like to love to learn and that's it and that's like what you're doing every day in the classroom and you know hopefully like if you do your job well then they'll do the same at university 100 man so so dope uh continued success you know slam magazine keep doing your thing hopefully one day you'll be up to the real pacific northwest maybe courtside bar when starkey gets his uh his his uh restaurant venture going you and i can sit down and have a beer and talk more hoops i'd like to uh, do more trivia with you man hoop heads Amazing. unite you know no, thank you so much, Mitch. Um, yeah, shout out Starkey and the Victory Team. Shout out Sam and Parkside. Shout out Mitch and A Hoop's Journey and Corbin, who's going to slice and dice this thing and make us sound good. But yeah, thank you so much. The man is so good. I didn't even have to do an outro, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that is a first and probably going to be a last. What a great episode, episode 98. He already shouted everybody out that needs to. And uh all the best to you. Thank you to our listeners, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for supporting A Hoop's Journey. If you enjoyed this episode, Leave us a review and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on social media at A Hoops Journey and on our website, ahoopsjourney.com. Thank you to our guest, Aaron Phillips. Thank you to our sponsors, ATO Basketball Merchants, Parkside Brewery, and Good Lad Clothing. And we'll see you on the next episode.